Hey guys, this week on The Rise Podcast, I'm bringing you an interview with my all-time favorite author. I have loved Lisa Kleypas as long as I have been reading fiction. And if you're not a book nerd like me, then maybe you're not familiar with her work. But if you love historical romance, then you will freak out with this interview. Lisa has been around forever. She is an OG in the publishing world. She's been on the New York Times more years than I can count. And she had so much wisdom and insight. She was better than I could have hoped for an interview with one of my heroes. I hope that you love this episode as much as I do. Welcome to the Rise Podcast. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and a Google search bar. Each week, we'll be sharing tangible, direct advice or inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life. So I am, I'm literally dying. I've been, as I was setting my intentions today, as I was writing in my journal this morning, the question I always ask is, what can I be excited about today? And in big giant letters, I wrote, I get to talk to Lisa Claypas with like 17 exclamation points. Um, This is, this is literally a dream come true. Like I'm so excited to have you on today and I'm so grateful for your time and that you take, uh, you take a minute to chat with us. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here and, and thank you. I'm, I'm uh, so admiring of all that you've accomplished in such a short time. And uh, like I told you before, I feel a, an instant connection with you. And I think everyone must feel that way because, you know, your book is so forthright and so honest. So I loved it. You're so sweet. <laughs> um, so for, I always ask this question for listeners who are not already familiar with you. And for those of you who don't know, amongst the, the, the people who read books like I do. So amongst people who read romance novels, Lisa is a goddess. Like you are OG, longstanding, super prolific. You've been on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't know how many times. Um, but if, if someone's listening and they're not familiar with your career, will you take us on, take us on a journey? Tell me where you came from and how you ended up where you are today. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, I always loved reading. Um, I always loved writing. It was an escape for me. And so, uh, you know, that I, that I needed, you know, I, I grew up in, um, in circumstances where, you know, sometimes I wanted to get away from it all. And so, uh, when I, um, started writing novels, I was pretty young, like I was 15 years old or so. And every summer I would write a complete novel and send it off to the publishers. And it would of course get rejected by everyone because it was terrible, but something about that process was just uh, riveting to me. I, I couldn't stop. And then when I was about to graduate from college, I went to Wellesley College, a, a women's college. Um, I, I decided to send the last one in and just give it one more shot. And it was accepted. So I sold at age 20 and had my first book published at, at age 21. And, you know, frankly, a lot of the stuff I was writing about, I hadn't experienced or didn't know anything about. <laughs> Were you writing romance even then? Uh, yes. I mean, I tried different types of um, stories, contemporaries, historicals. But the historicals were always my favorite, even though I've ended up writing in both genres. There's something about that historical time period that I absolutely love. Well, there's several things about it that I love. 
But well, yeah. So I I have all these theories about why I love reading historical romance most. But I would love like why 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 do you love that time period so much? Well, I feel like uh, in general people tend to look at the historical time period. And it, it seems so removed from us. So we make all these assumptions, like all these Victorian people were so prim and proper and they didn't have the kind of feelings and, and fears and, and impulses that we have today. And, uh, and in fact, I was uh, watching some show one time on Victorian women and how dangerous childbirth was and how many uh, women were, you know, just died in childbirth. And, um, and also how many of their own children would die, how many of their own children they would lose. And so you assume, well, if you have a dozen children and one of them dies, you know, it's a Victorian woman. Well, they were used to it, you know, because you would expect that some would die. And then and this show said, no, they felt terrible each time. They felt exactly like we would if we lost a child. And so when you start applying this empathy and understanding, you know, these were real people, um, then it becomes a way to to escape into another time, but also to reflect on, on our own feelings in our, our own time right now. So for me, I always think that the rules were so much more um, harsh, meaning back then, if you made a mistake, if you did something wrong, if you were different, if you were awkward, if you, especially as a woman, if you didn't fit sort of politely into society, it was sort of like all hope was lost. Oh, yes. And I think there's something really interesting about how, I mean, we think it's hard today to try and fit into a certain aesthetic or being a certain type of woman. But back then, if you weren't, uh, you had no chance. And that's just the people who were well-to-do. That's not even for the people who were servants or the people, like I, I've just always been fascinated by, a much stricter code of existing. Well, yes. I mean, a woman's life could be ruined so easily, even with a few words. I mean, your reputation was everything. And so if you didn't fit in and you didn't end up uh, marrying a, a fairly good guy, uh, your your life was really a mess. And um, you had no power. A, a woman could not own anything. Uh, you know, it, it it was just a really restrictive time. And that's really where I kind of came up with the whole idea for the Wallflower series, which was which is the like, greatest series ever <laughs> that I've read. It was fifty-seven <laughs> times. Thank you. It was, it, was, it was a breakthrough for me because uh, at that point, when you know, I, I've always read a lot of historical romances. At that point, the when there were more than one woman in in a novel it was always the other woman who was in competition with her or, you know, it was, uh, yeah. So, so I imagined all of these misfit women, which there were sitting on the side of the ballroom in a chair, waiting for some guy to ask them to dance. And, you know, a lot of times it wouldn't happen. So you'd just be embarrassed sitting there. It was like the throne of shame or something. And so, so I imagined what if all these women sitting inside of the room, what if they were talking to each other? What if they became friends? What if they decided to help each other? And, um, you know, when, when you read uh, about women in history, I mean, that's how we all survived is we helped each other. We comforted each other. We sat next to each other when we were ill. And, and this whole idea of women helping women really drove this wallflower, ser wallflower series. So it's about four young women who, who decide to band together. 
they're all misfits and they want to help each other find husbands. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to like, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. um, some of my favorite of Lisa's books that are more recent. And the one that's, what does it come out? Did it come out this week? It came out yesterday. Look? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank but you. I just want to be very clear because I am adamant about this. If you want to read Lisa's newer stuff, you have to read Wallflowers first because there are things that happen in that story, in those books, mm-hmm. that you need to know before you read the more recent, the more recent. Yeah, books. Yes, I think it is. And I know true. that technically everything's a standalone, but that's a lie. <laughs> You're going to miss the nuance. You need to go back and read the old books first. So I just, I was like, we cannot talk about her new stuff unless they understand that they've got to go read, you know, The Devil in Winter. They have to start there. Um, so I'm sure that over the course of your career, you've gotten this question a million times, but it's worth asking because I'm positive that there are people who are listening to this right now who are maybe rolling their eyes at us and like, ugh, romance novels or historical romance. What do you say to people who think that it's ridiculous or fluffy or um, the opposite of feminism to want to read those types of books? Oh, well, I mean, I think they're wonderful because it puts a woman at the center of the story and it's all about uh, a woman's journey, you know, a woman's um, fulfillment. And I don't mean, you know, just physically, although that's, <laughs> that's certainly part of it, but, sure. but you, you start uh, with the heroine and, and the hero too, sometimes in an emotionally unsafe place where they yearn for something, they want something, um, you know, their, their lives are not complete. And uh, the whole point of a romance novel to me, at least, is that you take the reader on an emotional journey with these characters. So, as they explore this relationship and they talk about their fears and their hopes and their dreams, I think it echoes a lot of what we all feel. I mean, you know, who has not, you know, wondered, uh, is the guy I'm dating, is, is he going to be good for me? Or I have these problems in my relationship with my husband. So, so these novels explore all these questions that are so relevant to us today. And most importantly, there's the happy ending, which I know is not, quote, literary, but is part of this emotional journey and this feeling of, of satisfaction that you get at the end of it. I mean, is that, like, do you read it for the yeah. feeling it gives you as well as the history and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, truthfully, I, I love, and your descriptions of the history are so beautiful. I'm a super nerd for that kind of information. What were they doing? What did the room look like? Um, how far away was that place from London? Um, but more for me, it is the escape. Yes, because my work is very intense and has been very intense for a decade. And reading romance books were always I I don't watch TV, so I would equate it with someone watching their favorite show on TV. I, mm-hmm. I would ask this, some of the shows my husband watches. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and he'll also be like, oh, what Duke are you reading about right now? I'm like, you know what? Shut up. He's an Earl. He's not a Duke. <laughs> um, but it, it was always for me escapism. So it was, if, if work was stressful or, um, if life was stressful, if something was happening when, when we were going through a very long adoption process for our daughter, like this was my refuge. And I think it's, if you've, I've, I'm a super book nerd. And so I've had the opportunity to go to all sorts of conferences or different things for, um, for this community. And what is amazing is how often for, for an outsider, it might seem insane, but how often someone will walk up to, um, you know, to Lisa or to Tessa Dare or to, um, and 
immediately bursts into tears. Yeah, uh, they're yes. so excited to meet you, and it would make no sense. Like, why would someone be that emotional about an author who writes about this? It's not necessarily the books; it's what those books represented to that woman yes. in her life. Yes, and and you, you've shared this emotional connection when you've loved a book that someone's written. Uh, you know, it's what's the same thing I feel about having read your book is that you're speaking to me, and so therefore there's a bond between us, even though we've never met. And and so yes, then when you meet this per, this in person in the flesh, it's it's overwhelming. I've cried when I've met authors yeah. before. I'm I, having followed your career for a really long time, and probably having read everything that you've ever published. Um, how uh, there's there's obviously um, in the trajectory of your career, um, it improves over time, and this is what as authors we all hope that we're going to get a little bit better every step of the way. Every book's going to be a bit better than the last one. Um, I'm curious how you have approached getting better? Like what kind of things have you done to improve your craft and the history of your career? Because there are plenty of writers, authors, creatives who once they start to have a certain level of success will just kind of let it ride. You know, they'll just sort of regurgitate the thing that they know will sell copies and they'll not work on getting any better. Well, yes. I mean, the first thing is that uh, your publishing career never looks like a straight upward trajectory. You know, it, it may, maybe for a lucky few and we hate those people, of course, but but you, usually usually your career looks more like a roller coaster where you've got the ups and the downs. Sometimes you've got a loop to loop. And so, you know, you, you first have to understand that you're doing this for the passion of it for the love of it that you know you you want to stick with it even during the tough times where it looks like you're failing and um you're or as a, a editor a long time ago said well your numbers are drooping first of all you never want to hear drooping you know <laughs> as a woman <laughs> in any way yes exactly so so just understand there's there's going to be hard parts and, and tough times but the thing that's really helped me is is a willingness to approach this with humility and to um, to listen to criticism. It it mm. it stings. I hate it. I hate being criticized. But some of the most valuable things that I've learned have been from that. When you hear or read criticism, first of all, some of it you can discount right away and say, you know what, that just doesn't apply to me. Um, I I can't work with that or, or improve with that. But other criticism that's more constructive, if you're willing to really think about it, it can lead to a big improvement. And, and I'll give you a, an example. There was a website long time ago, the romancereader.com. And so they, um, they, their reviewer read a book of mine um, where, uh, I've got to tell you, it was not one of my better books. It was long before The Wallflowers. And it, it, the question was of the uh, heroine who couldn't decide whether to leave her career, her stage career, because she was an actress, um, or uh, or stay with it. So, you know, is, is this guy worth leaving my career for? Which to me at the time was kind of interesting. But the reviewer said, you know, I, I read this and it just didn't do much for me. It just didn't have that, you know, it certainly wasn't life or death, blah, blah, blah. And so when I read that, I thought, you know, from now on, every romance that I write has to have a life or death feeling, not, not literally, mm. not necessarily literally, are they going to live or die? But is this love, is this romance, this relationship, does it feel like you would die if you lost it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Does, does it have that feeling that we all have when we're young and we're, we're first starting out with someone and it's so exciting and, 
uh, it is a roller coaster. And so, so that criticism helped me to focus on imparting that feeling to a lot of my books. And how you're writing about a time period that we don't necessarily have, not that we don't have access to the information, but we don't have easy access. So how do you know as much as you know about the time periods you write in? Well, uh, uh, sadly, I tend to get lost in the research because it is so fascinating. And, you know, Google, Google Books, you can go back and look online at these things that were written in the 1800s or earlier. And so interesting. For example, uh, my last book, Hello Stranger, the heroine was a doctor and I based on a real woman. Uh, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, who was the only female physician who was accredited for like uh, 20 years back in the 1800s. As soon as she got in through a loophole into the British Medical Association, they changed the rules so that no women could could get in for 20 years later. And so, mm-hmm. so when I was researching what Victorian doctors were doing and what strange mechanical contraptions they had invented for blood transfusion and all of this, um, I just got lost in it because it, it makes that world come alive when you read these things, you know? So, so the research is, is just incredible. And I actually have to control myself and just say, okay, enough finding out. And now it's time to actually make some progress on the, on the writing. How are, so right now, are you, do you do a book a year? Is that your, is that your timetable? Yes. Uh, it used to be twice a year, but you know, the last couple of years, life has gotten in the way. Lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I, my youngest is now going to graduate high school this year at Lindsay, my daughter. And so I think after she leaves, there's going to be a lot more quiet time, but you know, part of, part of being a writer is also being being a person too and having a life. And so I really enjoy being a mother. It must be really hard for you because you have four, right? Four children. I have four. It's so many kids. I, we just, I don't know what we were thinking. We just kept going. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is. I, for, for many years I did a book a year and this was the first time in a very long time that I said, I need a minute. Mm -hmm. So originally the next book was due at the end of 2018 and I pushed it to the end of 2019. Cause I, I mean, I'm sure you know that feeling where I'm just like, I hadn't for years had a single break where I wasn't writing or editing something. Yes. And yes. like, what a gift. I, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity, but simultaneously you just, you feel like your brain's going to explode yes. or at least I do. Yes. So yeah, I'm grateful for to slow down a little bit. No, that was very wise of you and good. And you, and you must keep that in mind always because self care, I think for a lot of women, uh, at, at our stage in life where we have children and, and careers and all these things, self-care is the first thing to go. And absolutely. Yes. Because like, so I, I'll t- there, there were occasions where we would, uh, the family, cause I have two children. Uh, we would, we would all go out to eat or go out to do something. And my husband's this really handsome man who, you know, always has a good haircut and, you know, he shaves and, takes care of himself and, uh, and wears nice outfits. And, and I always made sure that my kids were looking really cute. And then we went out and I would be wearing sweatpants and have my hair in a ponytail. And I'm sure yeah. people thought, who is this? What, why does she not, <laughs> why does she not bother? Why does she not care? And you're just so tired and you don't think about yes. it, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> um, I know that this is like just a fangirl question, but I want to know who, um, what are your favorite characters of all the books you've written? Do you have, favorite children. I 
I mean, it's it's got to be the, the wallflowers just because it meant so yeah. much to me at, at that time of life. It, it was a breakthrough, and it was, and I was very excited about this idea of female empowerment and women helping each other. And so I, I love all those characters. The the Devil in Winter characters, Evie and Sebastian, they're, they're special to me. That I still don't know how that book happened. I wrote it in about two and a half months and in a fever, in a fever. I could not do anything else. I was so riveted. And it, you know, people assume that you must just sit down and start flowing the words, you know, out of the keyboard. And it it never happens like that. But it did with that one book. So Uh, the thing is, I feel like if, if anyone's read your work, you that has to be the answer because you didn't just love them. Then you continue to love and show little moments with them throughout the new books. Um, I love, oh my gosh. I, I mean, obviously that's, that's my favorite that you've ever written, but I love getting to see their son and then getting to see them now and they're older, but they're still in love. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I, I've loved, is it the, how do you, is it the Ravenals? Uh, how do you uh, pronounce it? Yeah, I, actually I pronounce it uh, Ravenals, but yes. the, uh, the audio reader, Mary Jane Wells is so extraordinary and she has this beautiful British accent and she says Ravenels. So she must be right. Like we're going, okay. we're going, we're going. <laughs> Right. So that, no, that series has been so much freaking fun. Like the, here's the thing that I think is really interesting about you as an author. And I'm saying this, if people are listening and they've read your stuff, they're nodding with me. And if they have never read you, this is what I feel like I hope makes you want to pick it up is that I have read, uh, I've read all your books, but there are maybe six or seven that I just, there, I love them to the bottom of my heart that I have read 10 times. Oh. Like not even like, it's not even, Dave will be like, you're again, really like that. I'm like, <laughs> I just, I'm going back to my peeps, like going back to Winterborn. I know what's, ha- I know, you know, they're in the carriage. They're trying to get to Scotland. It's just this, it's like cozy socks. Like I just know that I can go back once a year and reread those. A, so a comfort I read. think that's such a test. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a testament um, to, to what you can do. Um, so you were known and tell me if I'm wrong, but you were known for the longest time for historical. And then you decided to do contemporary. Is that right? Yes. yes. And what brought that on? You were just like, Hey, let's try something new. Well, yes. And I think, uh, this, this is something that no matter what your career is that you need to, to be mindful of is sometimes you need to scare yourself. You need to challenge yourself and take on something that you're not sure you can do. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, it got to the point where I felt really comfortable with writing historicals and you know I just felt intuitively that I needed to not be so comfortable and and to try something and I'm so glad that I did because I I ended up loving these books Uh, writing them was a challenge that turned out to be really fun and um and I was able to do things I didn't know I could do and uh I set them in I set these books in Texas yeah, and, which is, are you from Texas or am I making that I up? was born in Texas and I okay. uh, was born actually in, in Temple and then um, uh, was brought up for a long time in Massachusetts. We, we had to move there because my father was an architect and there was more business there at the time. And then when I was um, in my early 20s, I decided to move to Texas and just explore life and, and meet people and, and get to know Texas better and absolutely loved it. That was where I met my husband, Greg. He was a Texas gentleman, absolutely wonderful. And um, the the thing that came out of that experience of writing these books um, 
what that that meant the most to me was writing Blue Eyed Devil, because it was a a story that had a lot in it about um, a woman healing and becoming stronger after having been through a terrible first marriage, uh, abusive mm-hmm. relationship. And I was able to go into some of the reasons why women sometimes sometimes really wonderful, smart, great women end up in these relationships. And then there's always that question, well, why do they, why don't they just leave? And it's, it's not a question even of money. It, there's, there's a lot of mental and emotional blocks that uh, happen when you have very low self-esteem. And mm-hmm. so when I was writing this book and exploring some of my own issues, thankfully I never had a bad first marriage or anything, but you know, I, I've, I've had my ups and downs and I've had some things I've had to overcome. And, um, when I was able to work through this in the in the context of this story and then come to a happy ending resolution, it, it was really healing and wonderful for me, but it also turned out to be that way for a lot of readers. So there were many book signings where, yes, they'd, they'd come up and start talking about that book. And then this amazing emotional, personal connection happened, you know, tears. And, you know, I, I think... I think we could have sat down and just, uh, you know, talked for hours, any one of these readers and, and I, about this stuff. Yeah. How do you, uh, like, you're, you know, even in amongst different genres, how, where do you start when you're writing a book? Where do you get the idea from? And I, I understand that if you're writing a series, then those characters were already part of book one. And so maybe you're going to explore their stories in later books. But when you're starting from scratch, um, where, where do you even begin? Well, I can use uh, Devil in Spring for an example, um, because that is the story of a young woman named Pandora, who's very eccentric, quirky, and doesn't fit in, and doesn't really have any intention of marrying anyone. So I knew that was the character, and the plot was going to have to come from that personality. And in the course of my reading, I happened to read about um, uh, the woman who invented basically the Monopoly game, the Parker Brothers and Monopoly game. Um, she, um, uh, her name was Lizzie Magee. I think that's how you pronounce it. And she, her father was an economics professor. And this was way back in the 1800s, very late. And um, so she invented the game to help teach his economics principles. And uh, so the game, she just made copies for friends and the game started spreading and started getting uh, more and more popular. And then some man, um, Charles, somebody or other, uh, he he basically took the idea for this game, decorated it up a little bit and sold it to Parker Brothers. And so she ended up with like five hundred dollars. And that was it, you know, for having invented Monopoly. But but to me, the idea of inventing a game, uh, the the playfulness of it and, and also the intelligence of it seemed to suit Pandora. So I thought, OK, so I want her to be a game designer in the 1870s. And then I started thinking, what would the obstacles be? Um, and there would be internal and external obstacles. So the internal obstacles are, you know, the fear that maybe she doesn't deserve it. Maybe maybe that um if people around her don't approve of her dreams, then maybe she shouldn't be doing it. And then the other obstacles would actually be technical, which is if you do ever get married, then you can't work unless your husband says so in that time period. You can't keep your money. The money never even touches your hands. It goes straight into his bank account. 
Um, you can't, after you get married as a Victorian woman, you can't um, own or sell land. And if your father leaves you land, then you can't build upon it or even rent a house from it. I mean, it, it, you're just powerless. So I thought, what's the worst thing that could happen to Pandora? Um, and that's, she would be forced to, to marry someone. She would get into a situation where she's ruined or she has to marry. And the, the working out of this relationship of this perfectly wonderful, handsome man that everybody would, would want to marry. You know what I mean? He's like, he's a yeah. dream guy. And then her saying, well, you know, yeah, yes, you're wonderful. And I'm even falling in love with you, but what about my dream? What, what about, um, pursuing my, uh, my game design company and, and, uh, and doing this, that to me was pretty compelling. And the whole plot came out of her desire to, to pursue this dream. And it, it was sort of, it sort of broke my heart because it, amid all the flood of, you know, enjoyment for this book and, and praise and everything else, you know, there were, there were a couple of negative reviews on Amazon. And I, of course, was curious, you know, what, what did you not like about the book? <laughs> and so this poor woman, I felt, I felt sorry for her, compassionate for her because she said, um, you know, well, there's, there's too much about, you know, women's rights and stuff like that. And, and besides that, her dream, why, why does it matter what her dream, you know, her dream is to do a board game company. It's not like it was an important dream, like being a doctor or a lawyer or something else. It was just a board game company. And, and what broke my heart was no one gets to tell you if your dream is important or not. No one gets to decide. Oh, you know? you're preaching my language, Lisa. <laughs> well, yes. Thank you. See, I'm trying to show this in a historical context that to her, it was important. And to, to the man that she fell in love with, it became important to him because it was to her. But, Amen. but it's so ingrained in women nowadays, I think, that we have to have everyone approving of our dream. And and no, you don't. You can just believe in it. And it's hilarious. Are you reading my what book of mine are you reading? Well, are you reading well, Girl Wash Your Face? Uh, yeah, I, I started like I'm about a third of the way through it and I absolutely love it. But why do you no, have but a part? The next, yes, the next book that comes out March 5th is called Girl Stop Apologizing. And you it's basically like you're just giving the summation of it. Oh, wonderful. And I'm having this like aha moment right now. I'm such a nerd that it's taking this conversation. I'm like, oh, that's why I like your writing. Because this is a storyline that comes up over and over and over. Um, plenty of people write historical romance, and it's great, and it's fun, and it's um, a chance for us to escape. But your heroines over and over are like, but what about me? Yeah. But what about this thing that I want? But what about – and uh, many, many times they're pursuing things that would not be appropriate for women or that other people would deem inappropriate. Yes. So, of course, that's why I love your stuff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's great. Just we're, such a epiphany. Well, we all need Girl Stop Apologizing because this, this, is, <laughs> this is a message that it needs to be repeated over and over again until it sinks into our society. Um, and, you know, I can... I can illustrate it in a in a very non-threatening way by putting it in a historical romance that's fun and that's that's um, an escape. Uh, and you you can actually hit it more head on with your book in a, in a in a real nonfiction practical way. But th this actually kind of reminds me of something that Meg Ryan said in NYT Magazine I think a couple weeks ago. It was about uh, Nora Ephron, who I love. She went to, to Wellesley in my college too, and I've just always thought she was wonderful. And so what Meg Ryan said about Nora Ephron was that like her her observation about these romantic comedies, these light movies that we all love, is that they're commenting on their times, but with the intention to delight. Do you know? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. it's a it's a wonderful privilege to be able to 
to put the spinach in with the 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 light fluffy happy stuff do you know what I mean it's it, yes, yeah, yes yeah but but we all need this message absolutely um so do you I mean I you I don't know what the rules are or what you're allowed to tell me and probably no one cares about this but me but how many more books will come in the current series oh there's, do you know already yeah yes there's there's one more book that I've just started Sandra. writing Cassandra that's yes, right yes. and so I'm and we all know who she ends up yeah, with. yes 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 no the, yes the, the railway mogul or obviously romantic. he's so awful but she's gonna make him great it's fine I'm I'm here for it I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But if I, if you don't have a copy, I'm going to send you a copy of Devil's Daughter because I know they sent it to me. I got to read it. I freaked out because oh, I had already pre-ordered and then I'm such a nerd. So it arrived and or, or no, that's not true. I had pre-ordered and then I was already nervous. And then it, they said, Oh, we'll send you a copy early. And I get my copy early and it's just sitting on my nightstand. And Dave's like, isn't this the book that you've been freaking out about? I'm like, yes, but as soon as I start, then it's going to end. <laughs> and so I'm such a loser how slowly I read that book oh. because then it ends and then I'm going to go back and start at the beginning of Wallflowers or something because it's just, I don't know, your favorite authors just, they talk to you in a certain way and you just, know, I don't know. I, I, People are rolling their eyes right now, but there's plenty of other book nerds who are like, I get you. No, I, I, get I you. the same thing has been written in so many, you know, Goodreads reviews and, and blogs. It's it's this comfort read feeling, I think, and this familiarity, this this visiting this world that feels safe because you know it is gonna turn out okay and that exactly no matter right. what the adversity, that it's gonna be a satisfying resolution. So yes, I, I crave that. Years too. ago years ago I was having lunch with Sherry Thomas. Have you met Sherry? Oh before? what a lovely woman, yes. Oh yes. my gosh, she's so stinking talented. Mm-hmm. But um uh, a little bit more like let's say darker version of of historical romance. But um she had said to me, I, I was telling her that one of my favorite things in a book is when um this sounds like this sounds like the opposite of feminism. I don't even know, but I love when the guy just like decimates them. Like he just does. He's so awful. He's so mean. He gets something wrong. It's confusing, but you know, don't worry. It'll be okay in the end. He's going to discover that he was a jerk and then he's going to feel terrible. And she said, I said, why do you think that is? Why do you think I love that? And she said, I think because we all want to be safely destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> we want a safe place to have our heart broken, knowing that it'll be okay. Yes. Because in real life, when your heart gets broken, you don't know it'll be okay. That's right. But in this space, you know, no matter what, with these types of books, even if it takes you, even if you're crying and it's awful, don't worry. Well, it'll come back around and it'll be okay. And I was like, oh man, that's real. Yes. That's so real. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I have a rule about that. If a, if a hero behaves badly, um, if, if he does something awful, there has to be a proportionate amount of groveling like uh, later. Yes. So, yes. I, you know, it, yes. it needs to be on his knees. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but yes, yes. You, you want the safety of having these fears explored. And so, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly how it works. Uh, so something I'm curious about, I think from a business, strictly business perspective, I feel like as a, not as a fan of your work, but as a businesswoman, I can see certain themes that emerge in books that I'm like, oh, that feels similar to 
of books that you wrote a long time ago. Not the same book at all, but I'm trying to think of a of an example of this recently that I was thinking about your work. Like, oh, this is a similar personality type where, for instance, in oh, the very first book in the Wallflower series, uh, The say. Secrets of a Summer Night. Yeah, there we go. Um, so he is a, a really wealthy gentleman, and he is wanting to marry this woman who's way above his station, which there's some similarities of that in marrying Winterborn. Yes. Or so, so is that a, something that you're thoughtful of? Like, Oh, that not the same storyline, but that kind of um, the differences between these two characters or, or this sort of force proximity or whatever that works really well with my audience. Are you thoughtful of that when you begin writing something? Else? Oh yes. Yes. And, and there are certain, you know, core stories or, or themes. Uh, it, I think Jane Ann Crenn said that every writer has a core story. And so mine is always uh, an outsider trying to fit in. And because uh, I felt, felt so much that way, like when I was in middle school and had braces and glasses and was really chubby and I'm only five two, And so, you know, I felt like I'll never, I'll never fit in. I'll never be one of the popular people. And so that, that core story of an outsider trying to become part of society, trying to belong has always fascinated me. And uh, I think what happens in most of my stories is that they don't really ever quite fit in, but they learn that because they have um, confidence in themselves and they have a loving partner and they have this wonderful relationship, it doesn't matter anymore. And so that's what happened with yeah. marrying Winterborn is here's this man who was Welsh and boy, did the Welsh have problems as far as prejudice against them and, and, all sorts of obstacles in English society at that time. I mean, they were, they were like lower than anyone. And so for a man like that to aspire to this aristocratic young woman whom everyone wants uh, is, is just a pie in the sky and he'll, he'll never be able to achieve that. So when you put these two very unlikely people together, different backgrounds, the, how, how you find the relationship in that, I think, is exciting and fascinating. So I'm curious. I, it, feel, it feels remiss to not talk about this because I'd be curious what your perspective on it is. What kind of flack, or have you gotten flack over the years for writing books that have sex in them? Oh. What, what is the, how has that been in the history of your career? Were there times that it was easier? Were there times where people, or just it's sort of like, oh, it's expected in a romance? Well, yes. I mean, it's, it's actually much... Uh, better now than it used to be. I used to personally receive flack from like uh, I don't from from people around me. Like uh, for example, my my Catholic grandmother. Um, <laughs> she, she read my very first book published way back, and so she she read it, and she, I braced myself because I knew she just wasn't going to like it that there were sex scenes in it, and then she gave me her approval. Finally, she said, "You know, it was really okay. I, I didn't mind it except for that that one word that you used." And I thought, <laughs> "What word? What word? I have no idea. Probably it was like leg or thigh or something. I don't know." Yeah. Yeah. No, my my feeling is, I need to be honest in these books, and I need to show this journey that the couple are on together and individually, and I need to show this relationship. And so if you close the bedroom door, you are closing off a fairly important part of a relationship. Now, for me, the sex scene can never be gratuitous. It's there to show that something has either changed or progressed in their relationship. So it has to be 
grounded in emotion. And so if it should be so necessary that if you take it out, then you would be missing something. You would be missing a piece of their relationship. And as long as I feel like every sex scene that I put in a book is respectful and is not there to be lurid, but it's there to show this relationship, I'm fine with it. And, you know, the, the readers that say that they just like to skip them, yeah, that's their prerogative too. They can do that. Yeah. 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 And I don't think that you miss anything if you get to that part and you, you know, skip two pages, yeah. like you, you know, okay. it, you're still getting a great Thank read. You, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how far out do you know what you'll write next? You know, I usually only know a book, sometimes two ahead. Um, so I knew that I was going to put Cassandra and Severin together a couple of books ago. And so it's just been in the back of my mind. I actually wasn't sure who to put West, the current hero of Devil's Daughter, with. I was so happy about Thank that. Thank you. Like I, because I loved her and she was so sad in A Devil in Spring. And I was just like, oh, please, please. And then when I, I saw that book and I, oh, I'm like, oh, this is about, and then read who it was. I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And how did I not well, see it, that coming? And I also loved the, the um, tension that you gave oh. them of, because at first I thought, well, they would have met each other. Why haven't we known that this was an issue before? And then I just thought it was handled. Oh, so well, thank you, so. thank you. Well, done. well it, I, I had thought about just bringing in an outside love interest for him, and then sometimes when you're writing, you know, your your, your mind just throws in an unexpected detail or even a character you weren't necessarily thinking about too much, and all of a sudden it becomes very important later on. And so, you know, she was supposed to have just the most minor part in Devil in Spring as the hero's sister. A uh, young widow, a little bit sad, but also kind of got a great sense of humor and, and was very pert. And so as when I finished that book, by the time I finished that book, Devil in Spring, I thought, I have to put her together with Wes. This, this pairing just seems so right for each other because here's a former rake and he's um, he's sorry about his past now and he's trying to go on with his life, but he's always aware that he had this, this bad past. And here's this amazing young widow with these two adorable little children. And so he, he's like, I can never be with this woman because I have to be an example mm -hmm. to her children. And someday they're going to hear about me and stuff that I did. And it's going to be terrible. So it just became this really involving book about forgiveness and kindness and in having empathy for someone that you really could easily just, you know, write off as, as not worth your time. And the whole premise of the book is that he was a bully who attended the boarding school of her poor little late husband who was always sickly and an invalid. Mm -hmm. And so he, he bullied him. And then it, this little boy always wrote letters back to his childhood sweetheart, who is Phoebe. So she's always been aware that he was this terrible bully. And then she goes to her brother's wedding, meets this charming, amazing man, and so um, it makes her heart go pitter-patter, and then he introduces herself, and she realizes this is the bully. This is my husband's bully. And so where you go from there was really fun. It was really exciting. Yeah. Oh, I was so, I was so happy to get to read that. And I hope, is everyone loving it? Have you seen yes. reviews and stuff online? Or, yeah. I, I, yeah. To tell you the truth, I've been a little overwhelmed because the the outpouring has just been so warm and kind and enthusiastic. And I think right now, especially with 
all the terrible news going on and, and, and all the difficult weather people have had. It's, it's just nice to have a warm, happy escape that just makes you feel good. You know, it's, it's kind, yeah. and especially about it being about kindness and forgiveness and empathy. Th- those are important for all of us yeah. to think about. Are you surprised? I don't know if that's the right word, but are you surprised at the reception of, because forgive me if I'm wrong, but you had stepped away from historical for a minute and then the Ravenels was an entrance back into historical. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So were you surprised about the reception of this? I, uh, by the way, I'm assuming it's done really well because I love it so much. So is it, is that just in my own mind? Or? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, surprised by the, the, the response when I stepped back into writing historical? Yes, yes. Well, I, I was surprised. I was really surprised, honestly, because I could see that the genre was going on and there are so many bright lights and talents. Tess Adair, Sarah McLean, they're just in, incredible yes. people. And so the the fact that I was missed or that, that my particular types of stories and messages, you know, were missed was, was just so reassuring and reaffirming. I I was really delighted by it. And one of the things that I was uneasy about was that I like to put so much history in the books and I just kind of sneak it in, like, especially with food. I don't know if you've noticed. I go, apparently I go on for pages about food. I love, I actually love how you do that. I love that you end and you'll say like, actually I tested out this recipe <laughs> and it's really delicious and you should try and make long bonge. Like I, it is the nerdy part. Oh, of great. You do talk about food. Thank you. Yes. I was, I was so curious about blanc mange because you always read that, it, that when someone's sick that, oh, well, we have to send up a tray with blanc mange. And I was like, what the heck is blanc mange? And it's this wonderful little vanilla pudding that I, I put the recipe for at the very end of um, yes, the book. You did. And, but, but yeah, so the, the food, the details, what the dresses felt like, not, not just was it a pretty pink dress, but what does it feel like to wear a corset? You know, what, what are these kind of details that make you feel and experience the book? But it tends to, it, it makes it a richer read, but it slows you down a little bit because it's not what they call a wallpaper historical. It's, it's not a contemporary mm-hmm. with the heroine wearing a dress, a long dress. It is, it is really trying to be rooted in history. And so I thought, I wonder if that time has passed where that kind of detail is enjoyed or appreciated. So I loved it that, that yes, the, the readers still wanted that and still enjoy that I do that. Absolutely. I hope you keep writing them forever because they are one of my favorite things. And it was, um, I was tickled to be able to read something early. Um, and I still kind of can't believe that I got to talk to you for the last 45 minutes. This is literally a dream come true. Like I've just had the biggest grin on my face the whole time because I I'm thinking this morning, like, Oh my gosh, if I could go back to 15 years ago, Rachel and tell her she's going to get to sit on the phone and talk to one of her heroes. Um, I can't even, totally um contemplate that this is happening so thank you so much for the time and thank you um thank you for doing what you do because there's a lot of times I'm one of those people that would have walked up to you at a book signing and started crying there's a lot of times where um your book has been a comfort to me oh I I, that is the best compliment thank you and thank you for being a new hero of mine I just think you're wonderful you're (laughs) absolutely wonderful thank you and wait I do want to say this I have to I would be remiss if I didn't the new book is called Devil's Daughter. Is that right? 
That's right. Yes. But do not read that yet. If you have not read the other, you got to first, you're going to get, you're going to read the series before that. And truly you want to go back and you want to start with the wallflowers. I'm just <laughs> saying, don't read out of order. It, you'll do yourself a disservice. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Lisa, uh, uh, honestly, thank you for your time. We are so grateful to have you and I hope everyone goes and reads all the books and make sure and review them oh, because that so helps authors yeah. a lot. Oh, wait, um, for people who want to hang out with you more, um, uh, well, where can I you find am, out uh, online? becoming a little more versed because of my, my uh, teenage daughter's instructions in how to use Instagram. So I'm doing a lot more Instagramming nowadays. And uh, I, I have a Facebook page. And um, so, and, and I'm also getting better about Twitter. It's uh, it's one of those things where it's it's such a nice, fun thing to do. And yet I forget about it. So now... Now, now I'm getting a little bit more involved. So yes, I will reply. Just, just contact me on any of those platforms. Hey y'all, we should hang out on more than just this podcast, which means that the next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, be sure and type Rachel Hollis into the search bar and check out all the fun things we have going on on your favorite platform.